Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin, and... So you want to start a restaurant or another food business, huh? You've probably got a lot of cooking skill. Maybe you've even got a team of great people around you. But that is not enough to operate a successful restaurant. Operating a restaurant is so much more than food. And it is difficult for any first-time owner to understand all that it takes and to know what they don't know. And that's where somebody like my friend today comes in to help. This is Matt Taylor. He is the... Uh, president of MJT Hospitality. Matt, welcome to the show. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I love talking about hospitality. Well, you're in the right place then, because that's all we're going to do today. So right off the bat, if somebody's listening to this and they haven't interacted or haven't heard about MJT Hospitality, what is it? What services do you provide for restaurants and, and other concepts? You know, we were excited to break into the Omaha market out of organic need, honestly. Um, I did not come up with uh, the idea for this concept um, out of a dream or planning. Uh, I My phone started ringing, and it didn't stop for a little while. And, and how it started was um, a, a developer called me and said, I would like to build a couple of restaurant concepts in X place in Omaha. And, um, I, I have no idea where to start. So there, there's one thing we do, uh, concept creation, implementation, we help to write systems, etc. But back to the second phone call, the second phone call was an existing operator who said, um, I just lost my general manager. I have never worked in a restaurant before. I can't pick up the torch and I need your help because Um, we're losing money. So a couple of things. MJT Hospitality is primarily a uh, restaurant consulting firm, and we also do task force management. Um, Task force management is for that second phone call. The operator who uh, perhaps you're a restaurant owner and you're not a working restaurant owner, um, you want that restaurant to work for you, and you need some help supporting that and, and doing the day-to-day operations. I have a team of hospitality professionals that can step in and, and handle the day-to-day. Uh, but where I come in, and my favorite part, is um, concept creation. I think that when you're starting a, a, a restaurant concept, the, that first phase, the dreaming phase, is the most exciting. 
I love to participate in that. My job is to hear the dream and start selecting the right wheels to put on the car. I'm the rubber meets the road guy. I take the dream from uh, conception to actual implementation, and I do it in a way where hopefully that, that concept can scale and be successful, profitable, and you can understand and trust that you're creating consistent, um, joyful experiences for your clients and guests. Okay, so right off the bat, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, I think my restaurant or my concept could really use something like this. How do people get in contact with MJT Hospitality? Oh, yeah, no sweat. Um, We have a website, mjthospitality.com. It opens to a a little inquiry screen. Fill it out. Send it over. our website is super easy to use because it's it's just direct communication to our team. You can also contact me, Matt, at mjthospitality.com or call at 402-209-5966. That's my direct line, and you'll get me day and night. Fantastic. So I want to kind of introduce you a little bit, Matt, because if somebody is hearing about you for the first time, they're like, okay, you know, restaurant consulting services, but who is this guy? Why should I trust him? You have had a long career as a chef and have worked in some really great restaurants. If you could just give me like a brief rundown of your resume, maybe maybe hit some of the high points to make somebody say, okay, Matt knows what he's talking about here. He's worked in some legit spots. Sure. Um, You know, I I started in Champaign-Urbana during my undergraduate with uh, Ray Timponi. Um, Timponi's uh, back in the 80s, 90s. I wasn't there in the 80s, but in the 90s was the top restaurant in that city. Worked for him for about 18 months, and and Chef told me to go to Chicago. I was able to go to Chicago. Uh, I staged with uh, Trotter. I was able to um, do quite a few really fun restaurants. I moved over to uh, study in Napa, Sonoma. I worked for Doug Keen at Cyrus with uh, Michelin Stars. And then I um, moved to Minnesota. to take over a resort. It was a golf resort and hotel. And I really wanted to learn some of that multi-unit stuff. Um, I I ran a conference center uh, from the kitchen, which was fantastic. Uh, I learned a lot, made a ton of mistakes. I moved over. um, I really needed to grow in what it is to run multiple units as in 20 and and more. I became a training specialist. I was a tra- traveling training manager for Craftworks. Um, worked with uh, some some different um, concepts that they had, specifically Old Chicago's in Rock Bottoms. Um, then I moved into working with uh, real estate developers, and I've done about eight food halls across the country um, from. Selecting, you know, from very concept uh, uh, creation to going out and finding the best vendors in the local community to be a part of the food hall and then writing all the operating systems. Um, From there, I've worked with several small uh, cafes, restaurants, hotels to optimize their standard operating procedures, to write menus and to create great guest experiences. And the one that most people would probably be familiar with here in Omaha is you consulted and did a ton of work with the inner rail and yeah. Exarbon. Uh, so that just gives people a little bit of a touch point. Yeah. What made you want to get out of the kitchen and get more onto the consulting side of things? You know, my, my talent wasn't food. I, 
I was a pretty good cook. I am a pretty good cook, but it, that wasn't my passion. And, and what I discovered through my time in the kitchen, which I will never give up, you know, there are still people who call me today and don't say, Hey, Matt, what's going on? They say, Hey, chef, what's going on? I earned those stripes and I wear them proudly. But I realized that um, my passion was really with people and systems. You know, I, I'm a creative thinker, but everything has to make sense. I, I think I'm kind of uh, one foot in both worlds. And so I like the creative part of, of coming up with new recipes and menus, new marketing campaigns, new color schemes, new logos. I love working with the creatives. But my brain thinks in such a way from my time in the kitchen, chefs are not primarily food artists. They're craftsmen who are exceptional problem solvers. And what I found was my talent wasn't necessarily with writing the recipes. It was with solving the problems. So, you know, when you're in a dinner service and you're doing 200 covers that night and you're doing four courses for each person and there's there's a lot of plates going through and, and you've seen that, you know how hectic the behind the scenes can be. When the fryer goes out, you can't just stop. It's not like a pause button can be hit. Hey, everybody calm down. We're going to take an hour and a half. We're going to fix this and then we'll be back in action. Nope. There's uh, 200 plus people sitting in your dining room who are, um, counting on you to provide an experience. So the guys behind the scenes are problem solvers. They've got to figure out how to work around that, fix it simultaneously and keep on trucking. So I think my transition into some of the consultation was really playing to my strengths, which is problem solving. You know, a lot of my clients come to me and they have these obstacles. They're very smart, capable people who have a brilliant concept and they want it to work well. And what they've come across is a common obstacle and they need just some help working around that. That's where I come in. And what, what is like the, the purpose of a restaurant consultant? What are you actually doing for restaurants when they come to you and they hire you? Uh, the first thing I do, I'm supposed to do is listen to the need. Oftentimes they know there's a problem but my clients uh, maybe have a difficult time identifying uh, what exactly the root of that problem is. Let me give you an example. Um, I got a call just the other day, Matt, my food cost is running about 33% and I need, I needed at 27 to be profitable. And I just can't figure out what we're doing wrong. I can't raise my menu prices again. Inflation is killing us, but I can't alienate my guests. What do I do? Uh, you know, that's where a guy like me comes in and, and I can start to identify where can we create a system to help us bring that cost down. A lot of times it's um, creating costing documents. It's standardizing recipes. And then a lot of times it's um, negotiating with vendors to, to get better prices. And so often uh, I got a call this morning from a client and uh, said, I'm paying $6.66 for a 42-ounce jug of orange juice from my purveyor, and I can go to Walmart and buy it for $3.23. What do I do? I can't go to Walmart and keep buying orange juice. They didn't know that they could go back to their purveyor and beat them up a little bit on the price. So I was able to help them to negotiate better prices for their food, and that's um, eh, just one example. That's a good example. 
I imagine a huge part of this job is staying up to date on all the latest trends and what's going on in the food and restaurant industry. So when somebody comes in and says, ah, I've got this problem, you can be like, well, that's because you're using information or services or um, equipment that's really outdated. How do you yourself stay up to date on all the trends and everything that's going on in the food and beverage industry? So when these restaurants come to you, you can provide them with a, um, a good response. Yeah, yeah. It, great question. Tech stack. You hear that all the time. How do I, how do I really optimize my tech stack? You know, um, I've got a, a Grubhub tablet. I've got a DoorDash tablet. I've got my POS tablet. Um, somebody's trying to sell me a direct mailer campaign. I've got a text message campaign and their heads are spinning. Um, it's such a common, uh, such a, such a common obstacle. What I do, um, every evening I have a dedicated time that I study and I'm, I'm constantly just looking, uh, what's going on out there. Um, I'm going to a, a rationale is a, uh, they're the pretty people in the world of combi and tech ovens. Um, I'm, I'm going to a two day training at their location and I'll be going through all of their products. Uh, and I'm going to learn a lot. Um, I go to POS companies and I do demonstrations and I learn a lot. Um, and then I also talk to other people in the field and I find out what's, what's actually working. Um, I'm really attracted to learning about the new tech, but I'm way more attracted to learning about what are the early adapters finding that are working and how can we really grab onto that and, and find that next big wave of tech. So te tech is kind of the major thing that you're into right now. You know, uh, I'm going to Miso Robotics next month, and I'll be uh, doing some demonstrations with robotics. Um, absolutely, tech is is high on my priority list to look at. Individual restaurateurs, the the mom and pop shop that is um, owned and operated by individuals. You know, I think of uh, the folks like that, that fantastic couple with uh, Izzy Pizza Bus, mm -hmm. right? The, these guys, Cherish Geiger, yeah. Yeah, fantastic people that are, uh, they own and operate this, this thing. Time is, and balance is elusive. You, these businesses can monopolize a ton of our time. And I think when we look at AI coming on the scene and new technologies coming on the scene, what I see for operators is it's freeing up their time so that they can drive the business from a proactive position rather than a reactive position. And I think a lot of times, especially small restaurateurs, but even the big guys can find themselves in a reactionary mode because they are so busy. Tech equals free up the time and, and it's cheap. So tell me a little bit about AI, because that's, I mean, AI is, it's everywhere right now. And I feel like everyone is kind of aware of it and knows some of its capabilities, but isn't really sure what the next step is or how this fits into our lives long term. When you look at the future of AI in restaurants, what do you see? Um, men, uh, very simple things, right? Right now, um, I am not one of those uh, early adapter people. Um, I like to watch the early adapters uh, and learn. Now, I will say this. 
I personally use AI for a couple of things. Um, and, and the biggest thing is my calendar. Um, I am, uh, you know, I'm a routine guy and, uh, being a routine guy in, and a consultant, they don't mix because I've got uh, new routines happening all the time as clients come on. So AI in my calendar is especially useful. And, and I've given this to a couple of clients, um, what that does is you, you set your priorities and you're able to schedule your big rocks. And if, if you out there listening, haven't done Covey training and you're a restaurant tour, go do it, get the book. Seven habits for highly effective managers is awesome. And, and the lesson of big rocks and really making sure that your top priorities are scheduled and managed is so vitally important because the day to day life of a restaurant tour means that all those little rocks and sand are going to come. Uh, it, and for me, AI helps me to keep on track with the calendar. Secondly, menu writing. Um, so there is so much expense to going out and hiring a, a marketing firm. There is a place for marketing firms. I love them. I work, you know, there are a couple branding agencies in town who I think Omaha is so lucky to have. Turnpost is one. Secret Penguin is another. Those are my two favorite in town. I think they're fantastic folks. But when I get into actual operations and I need to, on a budget, manage my social media content, and I need to make sure that I, my social media presence is consistent, which is vitally important to being picked up by the algorithm and making sure that you're being put in front of new guests or new audience members, um, making sure that my copy is consistent to the brand, making sure that it's spell-checked, grammatically correct, that it's, it's concise. All of those things, AI. I, I use AI to, to do quite a bit of planning so that I know I'm managing a tool and not actually doing every single task. Mm-hmm. I had some restaurant tours on the podcast, I think it was about a year ago, probably more now, who were going to open another location uh, in Wisconsin. And they used AI to look at all different types of menus from concepts that were similar to theirs in Wisconsin and basically read those menus and then build them a menu. And they didn't just go with that menu, but they were like, okay, here are you know items X, X, and X that we need to have on our menu if we're going to open in Wisconsin because these are things that people that are expecting from something like this. And that just like blew my mind. And like I said, that was like a year ago. So, I mean, the capabilities now I can't even imagine are so much more. That's something that, yeah, I think, you know, restaurateurs really need to be aware of. But like you said, you can get so bogged down in the day-to-day of things. I, I imagine it would just be really difficult to to stay up on all the tech and marketing and social media, AI, everything that's coming down the pike. Like it helps to have an advocate to kind of say, hey, are, are you are you monitoring this AI thing? Do you know what this thing can do for you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, treat it, treat it this way. I mean, that's a perfect example. You're this person distilled a ton of data. In seconds, mm-hmm. and to me, that's that's exactly what the best use for AI is. And believe me, I'm a novice. But uh, if I need to distill a bunch of data and I need something to kick me out of response, and maybe I can't afford to go out and and hire these data collection uh, people uh, firms, AI is the ticket. So you know, I had a client um, who struggled with writing. Um, 
you know, he's, he's a very, very, very busy director level, uh, position. And the email was emails and uh, the team communications were very staccato, very, uh, three to four word sentences, very, very fast. And he was, he was finding that he was running into a hiccup. It's like, man, I'm, I'm not conveying my message very well. He was able to use AI to go in and say, okay, please read my email and then give it parameters. Please, uh, you know, gear this towards a restaurant team aged 18 to 32. Uh, please make it professional, concise, and to the point. And boom, AI is your executive assistant that costs you no money. Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about Certified Piedmontese. Anyone who listens to this podcast or follows me on social media knows that I enjoy my fair share of decadent meals and delicious desserts. And that's why it's really important to me to eat really clean between big meals. And that is one of the main reasons I love Certified Piedmontese. Piedmontese cattle have extra muscle mass, which allows them to maintain a rich tenderness without much fatty marbling. In fact, ounce for ounce, certified Piedmontese beef has fewer calories and more protein than salmon. Don't believe that healthy food can taste this good? Just try it. When you order off certifiedpiedmontese.com, use the promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, for 25% off your order. You will taste the difference for yourself. If you are looking for steak, roasts, tenderloins, bacon, and more, Check out CertifiedPiedmontese.com and experience the Certified Piedmontese difference today. And now, back to my guest. So, I'm switching gears a little bit, getting back to the role of restaurant consultant. Somebody calls you and they're like, Matt, we need your help. You know, sales are really struggling. We're kind of on the rocks here. We don't know if we're going to make it. How, if you're coming in and consulting with a restaurant, how do you assess a restaurant's performance and start to formulate ways to make improvements? My favorite, uh, I love that question because so often when the client has come to me with that question, um, you, you've really got to have some empathy for what position they're in. And uh, you've really got to understand that if that question is being asked, there is a mountain of noise behind them that is demanding some change and it's consistently yelling, something's not working, please change. And oftentimes they just can't put their finger on the button or maybe they know what the metric is. They just don't know how to get to it or need some help, some prompting. The empathy of knowing that things are very noisy always persuades me to be as simple as possible. The solutions generally are very simple with complex tasks. So my job is to distill the noise into very simple, easy to follow, three to five point plans, and then put tasks there that are attainable at a schedule that's attainable and help to come alongside that person, and provide tools each step of the way. My process is usually um, come in and listen for a week, watch for a week, and start talking about week three. What's an example of that? Um, I have a client uh, who contacted me. Um, they were not in the food space whatsoever. This was a client who worked with, uh, it was a business. The business wanted to build a concept to add an amenity for 
their real clients. And so I, I came in and I, I heard the desire and, and designed a concept. And, and by designed a concept, I mean wrote a menu that speaks to the client base they were looking to, to go for. Find the creative um, folks to help in the branding, uh, folks like Turn Post and Secret Penguin. Find the right um, content creator, uh, oftentimes within those branding agencies or some other content creator. Put everybody in a room and create a plan for how do we open this? How do we write systems to make sure that the, everything is operated? Uh, so it really goes from a dream to a uh, target audience, to a menu that speaks to them, to let's write all of the systems that we can ensure that everything on that menu is delivered in a consistent, awesome way. Everything from training material to build sheets to recipe cards to checklists for janitorial workers, all of those things are constructed by my firm. You get a handy-dandy binder, a playbook, that is this playbook, if followed, you can operate your restaurant without having to spend more than 10 to 15 hours at the location. Uh, the key is to, you know, take that playbook and then build a beautiful culture and great team and, and watch success. And oftentimes those clients are looking to scale and to have multiple locations because, listen, in, in the world of restaurants today, scalability is king. If you can go from one great concept to 20, you might make a buck or two in this industry. Uh, and I always gear my consultation practices and, and my, my binders to be scalable so that you can grow this thing to as many as you want. What are some factors that make a concept more scalable? Oh gosh, that is that is the that is the holy grail answer, right? Uh, you know, my opinion is, um, do you say it's chicken liver, or do you say it's pate? Um, a lot of times, it's it's just, am I presenting a concept that speaks to the most people, right? Um, Sandwiches are a hot trend. You saw 2022, end of 2022, 23, bunch of sandwich concepts opened. Uh, get Real Sandwich, have you been there? Oh, I love Get Real Sandwiches, yeah. Awesome. I've been right. there 15 times. Yeah, I, I, uh, I always order the, the Cuban there. Oh, their Cubano is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so then that pork belly is a really, really good idea on their part. Yeah, so, you know, okay, a, a concept like that um, – is, is this speaking to 5% of Omaha or 95% of Omaha? I think it speaks to 95% of Omaha. I think that's, a, that's an example of a concept that you could easily scale because who doesn't like an awesome Cubano? Who doesn't like a perfect grilled cheese, right? But then you've got Acran. Acran, you ever been there? Come on now. million times, Love right? Love Acran. Me too. Uh, me too. In fact, I was just there not long ago great experience, but I only go there once a quarter, right? There, that concept of tasting menus and things a little bit different. Now can, that is a beautiful concept that we all like to visit, but it speaks to a lesser percentage of the restaurant going population. So for them to scale would be a different, totally different beast. Oh yeah. 
Now, you mentioned sandwiches are a big trend right now and something you expect to continue into 2024. What are some other trends that you've got your eye on that are just like, ooh, these are things that I want to be keeping an eye on as I consult with restaurants? You know who I'm watching right now? Who's that? Little King. You ever hear that? Uh, it's a it's a fast food yeah. uh, deli sandwich. I've heard concept. of it. What makes it special? It born and raised in Omaha. So when I look at 2024 food trends and, and some of the things I was looking in 2023, nostalgia reimagined. Um, why is cone flour so great? Right. When I one of the pieces of the experience in cone flour is that while I'm looking at really beautifully culinary minded flavors put together it with techniques that are on par with some of the best chefs in the world. Like these guys are fantastic. That's not speaking to everybody that speaks to dorky guys like me who are chefy minded, right? I I'm thinking about butterfat content and I'm thinking about how they put these flavors together and how impressed I am. But I think what speaks to 99% of the people is when I walk in and I see this, uh, white cook shirt and white paper hat. And it, it has this foothold into a bygone time that is romanticized and tells us this is Americana at its best. Um, I think we're going to see some concepts coming up that speak to that. I'm really interested. And this is why little King is on my radar. 1960, and I had to go look it up cause I'm not from Omaha. So I, I, I look it up. I Google, what is the deal with little King? I, I, I know one location. They say they have a couple. So I found out somebody bought this brand and they're reviving it. This brand was 1969, born and raised in Omaha. I didn't know that. So it's a hometown hero. And I don't know. I went in there and I had a really great sandwich. And I thought, I think these guys might be the next big thing in fast food in Omaha because they are geared towards some... Uh, really approachable, easy to touch nostalgia. I recognize it, but this is also a really solid sandwich. And there's a little modern twist on things. The other concept that I'm really interested in is Untamed Kitchen. I think, have you heard of them? It's a new spot downtown. I've been a couple times. Yeah, a new spot downtown. I don't know if this is public knowledge. Hopefully I don't get in trouble, but Alex Harrington and Clayton Chapman teamed up for this. And um, if you, if you know either of those two guys, I think this is a match made in heaven. I think Alex uh, Harrington from Pickleman's fame, he's done a great job growing his uh, Pickleman's franchises. I think he's a solid, smart operator. And then Clayton Chapman, Holy cow. One of the best chefs Omaha's ever seen. One of the best Omaha's ever seen. Couldn't agree more. These guys teamed up and created a fast casual concept that is totally healthy. And I got to say, my wife and I stopped by there for dinner last night. And, uh, you, you know, we were we had a date night planned and we both realized after our hectic work day, we were kind of tired, but we didn't want to skate on date night. And like, you know, we, we really got to go look at a couple couches. We really got to go do this. And I, I want something fast and easy, but healthy. We stopped at Untamed Kitchen. I had a Harvest Bowl ad steak and a, a Mountain View water. <laughs> I smashed that bowl. And I felt fantastic going to bed that night. 
I woke up feeling good. Had I had that meal at some other fast food restaurant, I would have felt like felt crap. Like crap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't have done that at Burger King. So I think um, nostalgia reimagined and health forward. That's not just tofu. It, it's it's got to be. You know what I like about them is I can go get bacon and steak, but I know that they're sourcing it from sustainable family farms that are producing amazing quality products. So I can trust those guys. I think we're going to see that, that explode. I, I mean, I, I love what you said about Unt- untamed kitchen because like they have a fried rice dish on the menu. Fried rice is delicious, but it, it gives you that feeling exactly what you were talking about. It's heavy when you're done eating it. You're just like, okay, nap time. Like yeah. you, you don't feel great after you eat it. These guys use avocado oil to fry their rice, and I had it. It had all the flavor, but I went for a run afterwards. Like I wasn't just feeling weighed down and gross. So I think that there there is an opportunity for restaurants. I think to lean into that a little bit, and you kind of brought this up as well. Another trend that I'm interested in is I think we see so many restaurants, and not just concepts specifically focused on this, but restaurants that are starting to put more attention into their vegan and vegetarian offerings i mean pretty much every restaurant has like a some type of veggie burger you know a couple salads like but they don't really think about that but as more and more americans are leaning towards vegetarian and vegetarianism and veganism it's something that restaurants are like okay we got to put some time and attention into this how can restaurants prioritize that type of cuisine a little bit more and kind of get ahead of that curve well, I think the first thing is to prioritize deliciousness. Yes. You know, I, I, uh, I think that word is funny every time I say it, but I use the word deliciousness a lot and I get made fun of. But honestly, it starts, it starts at that point. Am I checking a box or am I creating a menu item that is delicious? And I think the first thing to do is get a, throw away the labels. Um, put in parameters. So I'm going to create a vegan dish. No, I'm going to create a delicious dish. And this dish is going to have no meat and no animal byproducts. That's a parameter. I think some of it is just reordering thinking and priority in how you write your menu. And the other piece is, you know, when you're looking at, um, when you're looking at your data and you're analyzing your direction, um, one of the things that I do a lot is uh, some coaching on how do, how do you analyze your data, right? And so I always go back to product mix reports. And when you're, you know, 11 o'clock at night and you're on your laptop and you're trying to figure out what are you doing for the next menu, you got to analyze what's working and what's not working and looking at your product mix. Menu engineering, the way the verbiage is written on those menu descriptions Everything should come from what is the end in mind. And I start with think about the end in mind. And I always do a practice with folks where we make up three or four fictitious, uh, what are they called? Deep fake, (laughs) Uh, fictitious guests. And we really put a life around them. Amy is a 21-year-old Creighton studio who played volleyball in high school, is still active, does yoga class three times a week, full-time student, part-time employee, and has never been to this concept. 
is looking for a XYZ. Amy doesn't exist, but if a, if a restaurant tour really thinks about who am I trying to speak to, you're going to be able to reverse engineer those steps and write a menu dish that speaks to that person. How do you advise restaurants on third-party delivery services? You got to use them and you got to figure out how to make them um, as little of a headache as possible. Um, Optimizing third-party delivery platforms is about your marketing strategy and leveraging their dollars as well. Um, The hard thing about third-party delivery platforms is you, you don't, often get a lot of, you you get your sales call. That is, um, all the restaurateurs will laugh at this. You know, one, if you reach out one time, you're going to get 12 phone calls a day from different people (laughs) and they're trying to pitch you on this thing and they want to get you to sign up. They want to get you to sign up at the right level. And they're really not there to inform you and coach you and walk you through the process. They're there to get you signed up. So my first advice is educate yourself, get on the platform and figure out what your owner portal can do, figure out what your budget is and start looking at how to leverage their marketing dollars to your benefit. I think often uh, concepts miss that because it can be really annoying to deal with third party platforms, but they've got marketing dollars that you can leverage. And, And I help a lot of clients do that. And then secondly, You've got to create systems within your own organization to deal with the issues that come up. How do they always, always, when we're thinking about tech stack, integration is king. Um, You don't want to look at your counter and have four different tablets that your team member has to manage. One, your team member is not going to like it. Two, something's going to get missed. So I always advise clients, whatever third-party delivery platforms you're going to onboard, make sure that your POS or point of sale system can integrate with that system and it saves you a ton of headache. Now, as we talk about restaurant trends, there are national restaurant trends that I'm sure that you're keeping an eye on, but those aren't all going to be applicable in a market like Omaha. Some will, but some in Omaha will be completely different, maybe even the opposite of what's going on in the nation or maybe what's happening in you know a huge food city like Chicago or New York will happen in Omaha in a year, but it's not happening now. How do you weigh and compare the local and national trends to try and figure out not only what's happening out in the world, but what's going to work here and now in Omaha? Yeah, that that's great because you know Omaha is a beautiful city of neighborhoods with very specific identities. You know, what works in Benson doesn't necessarily work in Millard. Sure. What what works in Exarban doesn't necessarily work downtown. Um, So it's it's interesting. And where I go is comparable markets. Um, Kansas City, Minneapolis, Chicago. But Omaha has such a specific identity that you can take – a little advice from those other markets, but really you've got to look at, you've got to look at Omaha almost in a little bit of an Island. And I think what I see in Omaha restaurant trends is the, there is fast adaptation to health forward trends here. There is fast adaptation to convenience in Omaha. Omaha is a city full of drivers. People are in cars. 
people don't the the majority of folks don't use mass transit here that's ve- that's a very big um indicator to pay attention to in restaurants where in in chicago that's not necessarily true i still have the red train uh schedule memorized right because i always took it but we've got to look at some how how that interacts um you know that might change when the streetcar comes we'll see but we're a city of drivers. So I really pay attention to some of the major cities around us in the Midwest, but then I pay more attention to uh, the neighborhoods and what's trending in the neighborhoods. And you always see um, beautiful concepts popping up in different neighborhoods that might not translate. And, and then that's when I always am, am picking up on, oh, wow, this, this is working in downtown and this is working in Elkhorn far out. Right. And I'll give you an example. Um, Sunnyside, the little Sunnyside on center. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess it started Sunnyside on center. Yes. And they're in Elkhorn as well. Well, they were, they were. Okay. Um, Sunnyside didn't work in Elkhorn works on center. Um, why? Interesting. You know, you've got a, there's a lot of data to identify there and, but there's there's this like untamed kitchen. I can't get away from them. I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna ring that bell again. Plug them. Go for it. I think you're gonna see five or six untamed kitchens around Omaha because I think that concept's gonna work in all the neighborhoods because it's approachable, health forward food. Um, I think you're gonna see a lot of fast food. If the fast food, especially the upcoming concepts, can adapt some level of health forward that that's going to be a hot thing in Omaha in the Midwest in general, um, specific things like, um, what's, uh, Stacy's concept, uh, vegetable, vegetable, oh, vegetable, yeah. vegetable. Yeah. I mean, I'm so impressed by her concept. Oh, uh, she's incredible. Her, her and what's her partner's name? Matt, Matt. Uh, her and Matt are, are fantastic. And, they're creating something that I think could be scalable, right? And that it speaks, it, but it's hyper-specific to vegans. But they're doing it, presenting it in such a way that I feel not a vegan. I can go in there and enjoy some food, and it's very approachable. Uh, I think you're going to see trends like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to give another shout-out to Veg Edible because I'm not a vegan either, and I would eat there four times a week. I love that place. So get down to Benson and try it. Matt, uh, I could talk to you all day about the role of a consultant, about what you do, about different trends, both nationally nationally and locally. I got to let you get back to doing all your studying and consulting with restaurants, saving restaurants. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was a pleasure. My pleasure. I I can't thank you enough for having me. I I would just say if if you're out there thinking about opening up a restaurant, need help thinking through it, or maybe you're having an obstacle that you would like to collaborate with someone on removing that obstacle, reach out to me, mjthospitality.com. Happy to help. Love it. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.